This episode of FYI, All Things Mental Wellness, is powered by GJ Gardner Homes Wodonga. To check out their amazing range of home designs, house and land packages, or to find a local display home, go to gjgardner.com.au and search for the Wodonga office. You can also find the Wodonga team over on Facebook, facebook.com slash Wodonga GJ Gardner Homes. Thank you so much to GJ Gardner Wodonga for your incredible support. And now, on with the podcast. If you or a loved one need mental health assistance or are experiencing a mental health crisis, call Lifeline 24-7 on 13 11 14. Hello and welcome to FYI All Things Mental Wellness. Our guest today is one brave and inspiring young man. He was born and raised on a cattle farm in Echuca and is one of three sons to Jack and Joe. He loves playing and watching sport and spending time with his family and friends. In 2014, though, life took a sharp bend for him. He was involved in an on-field collision playing the game he grew up loving in Aussie rules football right here on the border. Diagnosed with quadriplegia, he spends the following 300 plus days in hospital and rehab. It's certainly not all doom and gloom though. Today he's sharing with us his journey since the accident and how life looks for him and his loving wife Catherine, who's been right by his side for the entire journey. James McQuillan, welcome to FYI. Thanks Nadia, thanks for having me. G'day Dave, how are you going mate? Morning, how are you mate? Very well. Tell us about being reared in a chuka and what life was like growing up in on a cattle farm, if you don't mind. Yeah, un, unreal childhood. So we grew up on a on a dairy farm in about twenty minutes south of Echuca. Mum um, and dad have take over three hundred cows. They're still there milking. Uh, we've got two brothers, one older, one younger. And yeah, we just had a great time. We spent so much of it outside, running around. I, I know Dad would say I wasn't particularly helpful on the farm, but I would tend to disagree. <laughs> I thought I was not too bad on the tractor and uh, on the four-wheel motorbike, but just didn't quite fancy getting anywhere near the dairy. It was yeah. <laughs> so you did all the fun um, stuff. I did the fun stuff. Yeah, it was a bit tricky in there. You I mean you got cows just pointing their backsides at you, shooting all sorts of. Um, <laughs> Business, so you just try to avoid that at all costs for me. Pretty, anyway. pretty early start in the morning, I'd imagine as well. Yeah, absolutely, and that was not something I was fond of either <laughs> as a younger as a younger kid. So, uh, yeah, I tried to help out where I could in in other ways, just definitely not in the shed. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So, played footy from a from a young age, I gather. Yeah, footy and cricket. So, footy in the in the winter, cricket in the summer. Just loved it. Um, yep. My older brother played as well. And we just had a great time. The local club, uh, the Achuca Footy Club and the Achuca Cricket Club were just a great place to be when we were young and we just, just loved spending it outside. Yeah. Childhood was fantastic. It's it's a common story, isn't it, you know, or typically, especially coming from a small town, cricket in summer and, and footy in winter. Yeah, absolutely. So- Those couple of weeks between the seasons were uh, mm. absolute hell for my parents <laughs> while they tried to keep us occupied. They're a long two weeks, aren't they? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Love it. That's awesome. So what, what brought you to Albury then? So obviously you grew up in Echuca and, and had all your education there. Yeah, so yep. I finished year 12 in Echuca and then was lucky enough to get into physiotherapy at Charleston University in Albury. So I moved across 
at the start of 2012 to start that degree. Yep. And and was there doing that study. That's how I came across to, to Albury. Yeah, right. Okay, fair enough. And then hence ended up at Albury Football Club in the Ovens of Murray Football League. Yeah, correct. So while I was studying, played footy as well. So for the first couple of years of my physio degree, played footy as well at Albury. And they were just a, a great club, great people, and um, really enjoyed it. We had um, had a bit of success while I was there, which was lovely. Um, I was sort of a, f- a fringe player, I suppose, in the ones and would spend a fair chunk of the season playing senior footy and then come final time, I'd often find myself playing in the seconds, which mm. um, which was fine. The seconds were also a very good team with, with some great friends of mine, so it wasn't, um, wasn't too much of a, mm. a shame when I did get dropped out. Yeah, they've both been quite successful seniors and reserves over the past, well, as long as I can remember anyway. So, That's yeah, nice. Any premierships? Any senior premierships? No, no senior premierships for me. So I, a couple of years that I was there for the full year, sort of played most of the season in the seniors and then unfortunately both years, um, just the day before the grand final was uh, just let oh, no. released from my duties. But it was all right for the in the, the second year that that happened, the reserves had got through to the grand final as well. So the reserves went on to win the grand final, and that year the seniors lost. So, you know, they can get stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the twos. So, That's uh, right. Not, but, uh, <laughs> uh, no, it was terrific. And, I, I mean, I've still some of my great mates are from that twos premiership. So as well as, of course, the senior, the senior team, I've got some great friends from there as well. So Yeah, fantastic. Um, oh, look, you know, we're dancing around it. Let, let's let's get to the day. It was at the Aubrey Football Ground, I believe, when when the incident happened against Wang. Uh, sorry, no, Yarrawonga, wasn't it? Tell us about the day. T- tell us about the lead up to the game. Yeah, absolutely. So, just like I was saying before, the year before, I'd been left out of the senior side for the grand final, so I'd put in a big preseason uh, in the hope that um, I'd be able to get picked and play all the year in the seniors and then we would go through and, you know, hopefully I'd be part of a senior flag. So I'd put in a, a big pre-season. I was fit, uh, the fittest I'd ever been. and was playing, I thought I'd played reasonably well in the practice matches leading up to it. So it's the first game of the year, grand final rematch against Yarrawonga. There's a couple of thousand in at the sports ground to watch the grand final rematch. It is autumn in Albury, so the trees are starting to turn, the sun's out, and it was just a great day for... Footy, I had my folks had driven across. They loved to come across. They made it across to most games that I'd played uh, over in Albury. Um, so they'd made it across that morning. Uh, my younger brother had come across with them as well as one of my best mates as well. So they were all there. And Catherine, my girlfriend, so she was also studying physio in Albury at the time. So we grew up in Albury, in, sorry, in, in Chuka together. We only met at the end of year 12 and then um, she just happened to get into physio in Albury as well. So she was there as well that day. She was a sports trainer for the footy club. So seven minutes into the second quarter, I put my head over the footy uh, contest like I'd done a thousand times before. And unfortunately, I ran into an opposition player's leg at the wrong angle and broke the body of the C5 vertebrae in my neck. And the body, the, the vertebrae shattered and pushed back in on my spinal cord, and that was what was doing the damage. So I went from a 20-year-old, two years into a physio degree, beautiful girlfriend, family that I watching that day, fit as young kid, and 
Um, within a split second, I'm lying on a footy field, unable to move my arms and legs. Pins and needles hurt my whole body, and sort of my whole future turned upside down. Feels sick, Liz. Yeah, horrible. It was nasty. So obviously, yes, Catherine was there as a sports trainer. Um, she was one of the first out to me. Uh, my folks were also, you know, straight out once the game was was halted. I like I'm laying there. A lot of thoughts, obviously, going through my head. We'd learned about spinal cord injury in the year previous at uni, so I had a pretty good idea what was happening. And I'm, yeah, I suppose I'm just laying there thinking about. You know, the game I'd loved so much, devoted so much time to as a kid um, and really enjoyed had sort of left me lying motionless on a footy, on a footy field. Mm. And there was a thought in the back of my mind. I was hopeful that, you know, maybe they'll fly me down to Melbourne, they'll fix me up and I might be back out there in a you know, couple of months. But I suppose deep down realistically, I was, I was pretty sure I was in for a, a pretty long journey. Um, so lying on the on the field, ambulance comes. They they do a fantastic job, and so do the sports trainers at the footy club, keeping me calm, keeping me still. And the the ambulance comes. They load me in. We head up to the Albury based hospital, and from there, uh, just a lot of scans, uh, conversations with doctors, just determine the extent of my injury. Now uh, they do a great job as well up at the base hospital, but obviously. A traumatic spinal cord injury is not something that they're equipped to mm. to deal with. So they sedate me and they fly me to Melbourne, to the Austin Hospital. And my family make their way down to Melbourne as well that night. So I'm sedated for three days. The night that I arrive in Melbourne, I am operated on. So they cut through the front of my neck to access the vertebrae that's been broken. They build a cage out of titanium around the vertebrae and try and reduce the pressure on my spinal cord um, as much as they can. At this point, I've obviously been sedated, so they've told me it doesn't look great, but we don't really know in, in, in Albury, and we're going to send you to Melbourne for a second opinion. But from the point I'm sedated for three days, I don't know what's happened. My family my family, and, and um, friends and obviously now my now wife, Catherine, they're all across yeah, the doctors are keeping them updated post-surgery and while I'm in ICU. But when I wake up, that's when um, I suppose the conversation has to happen about this is what's happened to you, this is what we've done to fix it, and this is the likely outcome. And that obviously, as you can imagine, is a very tricky conversation to have mm-hmm. with a previously fit and active 20-year-old. Especially with the world, the world at your feet. Exactly. I had this great plan for my life, all these fantastic things that I was set to do. And at that point in my journey, I wasn't sure if I was ever going to be able to get back there. So the, the consultants come and they stand around your bed. My family already know what sort of the lay of the land is. And they are standing there waiting for the consultants to sort of to tell me where things are at. So obviously that would be very difficult for them as well. And the consultants say, yeah, basically this is the surgery we've done to try and fix the injury that you have. You know, we're hopeful you may get some recovery back, but it's too early to say. And there is a possibility that you will be a quadriplegic for the rest of your life, which, yeah, obviously very difficult time. So I spend five days in the intensive care unit where they just try to get me medically stable. I moved from the intensive care unit after five days to the Austin's spinal ward. So it's a subacute ward where you're well enough to not be 
in ICU, but you're not well enough to go to rehab yet. So I spend five weeks there getting myself right to head off to rehab. And then rehab is at the Royal Talbot Rehabilitation Centre, and it's in Kew in Melbourne as well. So it's actually not too far from where I live now. And I spend the remainder of my time in hospital at the rehab centre at the Talbot. Um, so 11 and a half months in total from, from start to finish, my time in hospital. And yeah, a lot of lessons learned. And that was sort of my back half of my 20th year of my life and the first half of the 21st year. So I missed out on a lot of 21st birthdays, which I still am a bit filthy about, but um, I've been making up for it, I promise. <clears throat> yeah. Mm, I think we're both a bit shell-shocked yeah, it's hard, here in that. hard to comprehend. What's I can only imagine you had so much time to, your, to yourself and your own thoughts for such a long, you know, for such a long period of time. What's, what's, what are you thinking? What are you, I can't even imagine what's going through your mind and uh, missing out on thinking about what's, what's next and what, what do I do? Like, it's just something you don't ever think about, is it? No, not until you're in the situation. So I suppose throughout the whole journey, I was incredibly lucky, lucky in terms of the support I had from family and friends. I had sort of, I was just a revolving door of people coming to visit me in hospital all day, every day. I think, I'm not 100% sure what I reckon it probably annoyed the, uh, the nursing or hospital staff, the doctors and nurses, because uh, they could never try, they never, never be able to find me. I was always down at the cafe or sitting out in the sun with friends and, and all that sort of stuff. So I was lucky and I stayed positive throughout the whole journey. Um, I had a very positive mindset throughout the whole thing. I just wanted to get how, back to How, though, James? Mm. That, that's what I want to know. How did you have a positive mindset? How? Yeah, I think, I suppose the support from family and friends was huge. And I, at the end of the day, I had a, a goal that I wanted to get back to, which was to, to return home and live as independently okay. as possible. Um, and I wanted to live or get back to living a fulfilling life like I had sort of set up and planned before the injury. So... Yeah, I don't have any tips or tricks on, on how I stayed positive throughout throughout the journey. I think mm. I was just um, just lucky, but it wasn't always like that. There was some definitely some difficult times. It was the end of the five weeks that I'd been at the Austin, and we just moved to the Royal Talbot. So that's where I'm going to start this rehab journey. Throughout the first five weeks, I was incredibly positive, upbeat. I was laughing it off, making jokes, sort of, I suppose, a bit of a coping mm. type scenario, and then. I get transferred from the Austin to the rehab centre at the Talbot. I arrive there in the evening. It's cold. It's dark. My family haven't arrived yet. I don't know anyone there. I'm in the room by myself. I literally can't do anything for myself. I can't feed myself. I can't get myself a glass of water. If I go to try and scratch my nose, my arms aren't strong enough, so I punch myself in the face. I literally am helpless um, at that point in my journey. And it's probably at that point I realized how far I had to go to get back to the life that I wanted to live. And when my mum and my now wife, Catherine, arrived, I just burst into tears. I hadn't told anyone in the first five weeks how much it was weighing on me. I suppose I was trying to be strong for those around me because I knew and could see how much it was affecting them. But at that point in my journey, I, I couldn't hold it in anymore and I just, absolutely burst into tears. And Catherine and my mum burst into tears as well. Mm. I think 
obviously partly because it was incredibly upsetting what had happened, but I suspect also partly relief because they knew now that I was going to start to talk about what had happened to me and talk about how much I was struggling with it and talk about how we were going to get back to the life that I wanted to live. So we sat there and we cried for a couple of hours while we tried to figure out what was going to be the next steps. And it was at that point, I suppose, in my journey where I felt like I could get through it. And it was also at that point in my journey where I realized how important it was to talk to those around me Mm. when I was having a difficult time to make sure that I wasn't bottling it up and that I was sharing it with the ones that I trusted with that information and they didn't have to have the answers at the time and they didn't have the answers but they had listened and that's all I needed. I just needed to be able to share that with them. How your mum and your mum and wife must be super strong as well. I can only imagine what they're going through and you've and your father at the same time, you know, it must be just gut wrenching for everybody involved, but they need to stay strong at the same time for your sake. was there anyone anyone outside the circle? Did you speak to was that part of the rehabilitation, speaking to doctors, speaking to psychologists? Yeah, there was a psychologist at the Royal Talbot that I did speak with, but I ended up connecting with another fellow, Simon McCormack, who was a friend of a friend from, I think he's up from Albury, Wodonga Way. He played for Wodonga, didn't he? And at the time, I think so, yeah. yeah. So he was the chaplain at the Melbourne Footy Club at the time. Mm. I'm not sure if he still is, but he came in and he talked to my family individually and help look after them and he also talked um, talked to me mostly we just talked about the footy mm. um, but I suppose that just got to a point where I was comfortable with him to share what was happening with me and we talked and we talked and he said some fantastic things that helped me sort of get myself in the right mindset to go through rehab he spoke about everyone in life having a plan um, and dreams when they're younger, but it's quite often not what you end up doing mm. when you get older. And and that plans change, and that's okay. And he was confident I was still going to have a fantastic life. Um, and I suppose he gave me confidence that I was still going to have a fantastic life. It was just going to look a little bit different mm. than how I had planned when I was up in Albury studying physio. <sighs> you okay, Nuds? <clears throat> We're running out of tissues up here, mate. <laughs> And you know, from there, for those listening in at home, I've got a live feed of uh, these two. Um, <laughs> I, can, oh, I can see some tears in both their eyes, which is a win. I, I think a win. And I, th- I think we, we can all not relate, but, you mm. know, I've got a child that plays footy, you know, 23-year-old Dave plays footy. And, yeah, it's just... Freak accident. So oh, that's... that's a freak accident, so you can't... No, um, no. How much you can do no. about it and... Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose I was talking before about the support network that I had and, and mum and dad worked incredibly hard during that 12 months when I was in hospital. Mum came down to Melbourne and she based herself down here for that time. Dad had to stay up to run the farm because it wasn't going to run itself, so he would run the farm and then barrel down to Melbourne to see me for a day and barrel back to milk at night. Jesus and my wife, Catherine, she was still studying. She continued her studies 
a Chelsea doing physio throughout. So she would spend the week in Albury studying and then she would catch the train down on a Friday night, study on the train, spend the weekend with me, catch the train back Sunday evening. Sometimes she'd drive, catch the train back Sunday evening, study on the train on the way home and then straight back through uni for the week and then she'd come down again. So her commitment and dedication throughout the entire journey was just unbelievable and I'll never be able to thank her enough for the support that she showed me throughout the journey and still shows she me She quite literally was there from from the start and, mm. you know, I could, couldn't could imagine her being the trainer on the day and, and her boyfriend going down like mm. that and what a trooper she must be. So she completed yeah. her studies, though, in physio? She did, yep. she did. So she graduated Ducks of the Year. Oh, of course. Which, for those that know her, it wouldn't surprise right. them. But it was a very impressive effort considering what she was balancing outside of her studies between what I was going through and what she had to, to go through, I suppose, to deal with the injury as well because I suppose a lot of the emphasis was on me and the effect that it had on me and that I'd you know, lost the ability to move and feel large parts of my body. But at the end of the day, the... So it's not just me that's affected, I suppose. It was, yeah, my family and my friends, Catherine, her family, um, our extended families, everyone was affected by the injury. And it was really quite a difficult time for everyone. And when I reflect on that time in my life, it, a lot of guilt still sits with me in terms of um, sort of the, the pain that I put others through. Not that obviously... Mm. I could do much about it, but it's still a horrible, uh, horrible thing to think back, reflect on. Absolutely. How did, how did the uh, how did the footy club throw their arms around you through the process, early process? Still do now. I know they're a huge a huge yeah. club and set the set the bar really locally for all things on field and off field. Yeah, fantastic club, and yeah, I don't think I'd be where I am today without their support, mm. the effort that the club went to and the wider Albury-Wodonga and Echuca communities went to to help raise funds because having a disability and being a wheelchair user is far from a cheap exercise. Mm. And, yeah, the work that they did to fundraise over that, probably the first couple of years after I had my accident, was just unbelievable. It's difficult for me to know the full extent of it because I was down in Melbourne and I was very focused on what I was doing at the time. Mm. But upon reflection, there's no way I'd be where I am today without the support of the Albury Footy Club and the wider Albury Wodonga community and the community in Echuca as well. Mm. Absolutely. So, James, you you spent, well, as we said in the intro, you know, over 300-odd days in hospital or in rehab. So how did getting home for the first time look like and where was home for you immediately after rehab? Yeah, so when I discharged from hospital, I moved back up to Albury. Okay. Um, Catherine was still studying up there. I, As much as I loved my parents at, at 21, I didn't want to move back into the house at the farm at that time. And my hope was that I'd be able to become independent enough to make living in Albury in a unit there, in Olive Street, 
work well. When I first moved back, I was still far from independent. Um, I still had lots of assistance from support workers, and I still do today for different things. But at that time, it was for almost all of the things that I was doing. I was getting some assistance, whether it was from friends or from from support workers. Yeah, there was a lot. There was a lot that needed mm. to be done, and I just um, I was just stoked to be home and trying to live this normal life again but um, at that point in my journey I was still had a long way yeah. to go mm. I was well enough to be out of the rehab centre but I was not where I wanted to be from an independence point of view and I suppose I didn't mention it earlier when I was talking about the injury that I had but in terms of the function that I have so a C5 complete quadriplegic so some of the muscles in my arms work some of them don't so I can flex my bicep, I don't have any tricep, I can uh, bend my wrist up towards the sky, but I can't sort of close my hand very well or flex my wrist. I can't feel anything from chest down. I don't have any muscles that work from chest down, even shoulder down really. And yeah, I use a wheelchair full time and then you know, use the bathroom and those sorts of things differently to how an able-bodied person would as well. So. Mm. Lots of changes. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Because they can vary, quadriplegia and, and where it sort of starts can vary. So thanks for clarifying how yours sits, which, yeah, again, is unfathomable. So I, I guess over time you got better, better not being probably the, the ideal word, but you got more and more used to living with this new way of life for you, I guess, and services. I mean, you did say they still continue. Did Could you see that gradual with what you were able to do and were better at or requiring less services? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So when I first moved home, I'd have someone to come in in the morning to give me a hand to get up and then I'd have someone come in in the evening to um, help put me to bed. And then after three or four months of that, I would just get someone in the morning to help me get up, but I wouldn't need the help to get to bed. I'd learn how to do that myself. And then another five or six months after that, I didn't have any help in the morning and I didn't have any help in the evening. I was able to, I'd learn how to do it all by myself. Wow. Um, and then I would just have someone in, then I would just have someone come in to um, vacuum the floors because obviously that is something I didn't enjoy before and I still don't enjoy it. <laughs> I was no going to say, did you play on that one? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's no need to relearn that, that skill, absolutely not. So I would have someone to come in and help me do things like that or, you know, move things around the house that I would, were too heavy for me to lift and those sorts of things. But in terms of getting up um, and, and getting to bed, which were the main things I needed help with when I first got home, you know, after about a year, year and a half, that was no longer something I needed. And now in Melbourne, you know, I live fully independently with my wife, Catherine, and we... We have a great life here. I still do get assistance, but it's for my wheelchair rugby to help me get set up and strapped up for um, training and, and games and those sorts of things. So, awesome. And obviously, I still have someone to come in and do the vacuuming because yeah. who wants to do that? Absolutely. There's Not these things, oh, James, are about that round, <laughs> and they're called robot vacuum cleaners. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll have to get one of those. <laughs> No, that's awesome. Oh, it's just to, to hear in that span of time, I know for you probably felt like an eternity 
But, you know, going from morning to night to just morning to then, you know, just, oh, it's just, it's incredible to... What were your early frustrations? Obviously, navigating your way through a different lifestyle. What what were some of the things that really made your blood boil early? I think it was the amount of time that things mm. took me now. So when... Like when I was in rehab and I looked at the overall goal of getting home and, and being independent and then you work with your therapist and you break that down into smaller goals. So what does getting home and being independent look like? Well, you need to be able to get up and get yourself dressed in the morning, right? So if you want to get up and get yourself dressed in the morning, you need to learn how to put your pants on and you need to learn how to put your shoes on. Mm-hmm. So when I first started to learn how to do that, I was just putting a pair of tracksuit pants on with the assistance of a therapist and it took me two hours. And then... I worked it and worked it with the therapist and then after a couple of months, it was an hour to put my pants on. So once we had to get my pants on down to an hour, we decided let's try and learn how to put your shoes on as well. So then it blows it back out to two hours because it took me an hour to put my pants on and an hour to get my shoes on. And then we worked it and we worked it and then I continued to work on it when I got home because being able to get up in the morning independently was a key part of my overall goal of being as independent as possible. So now when I get up in the morning, I'll put a pair of jeans on and a pair of shoes on and be up in my chair. It'll take about 25, 30 minutes. Awesome. And they're skinny jeans too because, of course, fashion is critical. Um, <laughs> Love it. Good on you. Wow, that's incredible. It's been, a, it's been a big journey. But, there's, you know, when you think about that progression in terms of time, that has happened for everything. Um, it used to take me... A whole day, like when I was first moved back to Albury and, you know, maybe I wanted to try and cook Catherine dinner and that was sort of the big goal for the day and it would take me all day. So I would go out in the morning and I would do the grocery shopping and I would try and do this all by myself. All I was going to say, all by yourself. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was great in terms of like learning how to navigate the community Unfortunately, the Tim Tams are still on the top shelf at the supermarket, so I have to get a hand to get those down. But I'd go to the supermarket and I'd get what I'd need for for dinner and then I'd get home and then I'd unpack that and and then I'd work on starting to cook dinner and it would be a whole day process, but the amount of things I would learn how to do during that day or try to do um, and then find a quicker way of doing them, yeah, it was it was a great way to continue to work on my independence and... Yeah, something I'm really proud that I stuck at. Absolutely. Tried to do. And then I suppose after a year or so back in Albury, I wanted to return to study. So I wanted to try and finish the physio degree that I'd started. And Charles Sturt were incredibly accommodating in helping me try and get that done. So I went back out and picked up a couple of subjects and studied part-time for six months. And at the end of the six months, I'd sort of come to the conclusion that maybe physio wasn't where my passion was anymore because when I was able-bodied and studying physio, I wanted to be a sports physio. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to work with um, sort of elite teams or in a private practice setting. And realistically, with the level of function that I have now, that's not something that I can do well anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably would have been able to graduate, but I may have just found myself in a career that wasn't what I wanted it to be. So I decided to change my journey, like Simon had spoken to me about when I was in rehab, and I went back to Charles Sturt and studied accounting. 
and finished the degree. Took took the three years that it takes to finish. Studied full time out there, which was again incredibly important from an independence perspective. You know, I'd get myself ready for uni. I'd go out there. I'd make my way to the class. I'd do my study. I'd get home. I'd study at home. All stuff that I never I never thought I'd be able to do when I was in in rehab. So I finished the accounting degree was lucky enough to be able to get a job at Johnson's NME, uh, accounting, an accounting firm in Auburn, Wodonga. And I was there for around about eight months before Catherine and I decided we'd pack our bags and travel Europe. So Catherine and I packed our bags in May 2019, I'm pretty sure it was, and we spent eight and a half months traveling around in Europe. Again, something I never thought I'd be able to do. Yeah, injury in 2014 and then traveling the world with Catherine in 2019, the, the progression to get to that point. Yeah, I still find it quite hard to believe. Mm. But we had a fantastic time over there. Um, we did some incredible things, again, that I never thought were going to be possible. I paraglided in the Swiss Alps, ridden a camel in the Moroccan desert. I proposed to Catherine when we were in Switzerland. Um, thankfully, she said yes. And, um, it's a long plane ride home. Then, <laughs> It would have been a long plane ride home, and it was pretty early in the trip, so it was going to be a pretty rocky eight, seven, seven months if she had said no. But no, luckily, luckily she'd said yes, and um, we had a great time. We met up with friends and travelled Ireland with some of our closest friends. Catherine's parents joined us for the first five weeks in Italy. Uh, my family flew over for some time together in France and Catherine did some work in London, in a big hospital in London. So that was something she wanted to do mm. as well. And obviously, while she worked, I, of course, had to just keep an eye on the Ashes cricket that was happening over in the UK at the time. So it was travelling around the UK, making sure I uh, kept across the cricket. So, yeah, unbelievable journey and an unbelievable time in, in Europe and, yeah, something I'll remember forever. It's interesting. You say those conversations that you had with, what, what was his name, the footballer? Um, Simon. Simon McCormick. Yeah, and, and how life needed to change. But I wonder how have you have done all of that if the incident wouldn't have happened in that space of time as well, James? I think I still would have done some great things. I, I think with the injury, though, came perspective, I guess, about what I wanted to do and, and trying to do what was important to me and what I enjoyed doing. So I don't know if it would have looked exactly the same, but I suppose reflecting on the things that I wanted to do when I was 20, I wanted to finish my physio degree. I had this beautiful girlfriend that I wanted to marry. I wanted to travel. I wanted to buy a house. I wanted to have a family. And a lot of those things I've been able to do it looked, it looked a lot different to how I had anticipated, absolutely. But I've finished a degree. I've married my wife. I've travelled around Europe. I still travel a lot now with my wheelchair rugby commitments. And buying a house and having a family will hopefully be not too far in the wow. future. Wow. So I think things are... Things are going pretty well. Absolutely. Mm. Tell us about your rugby, wheelchair rugby, and where you've yeah. you've reached in that sort of area. So for sure, absolutely. Now, so wheelchair rugby is a fantastic sport for those who are listening and haven't seen it. You must 
YouTube at once you finish listening to this incredible podcast. <laughs> it is one of the great sports and, you know, hopefully it becomes more popular over the journey. But in terms of how I got involved, it was the back end of COVID-19 in Melbourne and I reached out to the local wheelchair rugby competition and said, look, when the competition kicks back off, let me know. I'd love to come down and if there's a spot, fill in. At that point in the journey, I was just really wanting to get out of the house mm. um, because COVID in Melbourne, of course, mm. not particularly enjoyable. So I wanted to get out and just wanted to have a run around and um, have a bash with the local comp, which I'd never done before. So he reaches out a few months later once the comp's back up and running and says, great, come down, mate, Monday night, we've got a spot for you. So I go down and fill in and have a great time and they invite me back the following week because they need another fill-in. And that happens for a few weeks and then the guy who I reached out to who was playing for Australia at the time and was organising the local comp catches up with me and says, would you be interested in coming down and having having a run around at our Steelers, so the Australian Steelers is the Australian national team, at the, at the Steelers training in Melbourne, our training base in Melbourne on next Monday. And at the time, so I work at ANZ Bank and at the time I, I still am working full-time and I thought to myself, gee, I don't think I'll be able to get any time off to take a whole Monday morning off just to go and have a wheel around at this sport <laughs> that I'm just doing for fun. Anyway, I said, look, mate, I think it'll be worth your time if you can get the time off from work. So I was lucky enough that I got the time off and I went down on the Monday and and we trained and we trained hard and I had a great time. And then they invited me back on a Wednesday, which I was a little surprised about because I didn't think I'd beaten, you know, I wasn't a world beater or anything like that. And then they invited me back on a Friday. And then that just continued to happen. And I've been training three days a week on court with the Australian squad in Melbourne ever since. So three days on court, two days in the gym and still working full time at AMZ. So it's a bit of a balancing act, but the journey from starting to train with the Australian squad was about three or four months after I'd started training with them. I was on a flight to Texas with the Australian development team mm. for a comp against a Texas-based team. A couple of months after that, I was on a plane with the Australian team to go for a training camp in Italy before we played a competition in Denmark. And then a couple of months after that, in October 2022, I was again part of the Australian team as we flew over to Italy for a train camp before playing the World Championships in Denmark. Wow. Which Australia went on to win. Oh, So within 11 and a half months of starting the sport, I became a world champion, which is quite quite hard to comprehend. Geez, you kept that in your back yeah. pocket to the end. <laughs> Must have been such I a I'd spring, sprinkle a bit of magic at the end. Yeah, yeah that's oh gosh. Must have been such an, an awesome feeling for you, getting back into that sporting environment, that team. Mm. You know, getting that adrenaline running back through your body. Like I know, sports yeah. in, sports in our blood, and to have it taken Absolutely. away from you, it must have must have been such a euphoric feeling to get back into that surrounding and know you're you're elite again back back in the in the sporting arena it was fantastic i suppose after my injury i I didn't miss 
playing sport really at all until I'd gotten back into wheelchair rugby. So um, one of my favourite things when I was playing footy and cricket was going to train and catch up with your great friends. So mm-hmm. to be able to go back and make new friends at, at rugby um, and they are some of the greatest people I've ever met and be able to make great friends, be able to train at an elite level, be able to travel and be able to play for Australia. Mm-hmm. Again, not something I'd planned when I uh, was 20 years old and had the accident, but plans change and that's okay. Kudos to you. We like to end with a few questions. I have to change these up one day because yep. I think people come prepared. But anyway, you don't have to give them much thought, James. So are you a, more of a camper or a five-star? A five-star, absolutely. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Approved. Approved. Well done. You an early riser or a night owl? Uh, a little from column A, a little from column B. just depends on what's, uh, what's required. <laughs> what's going on in life, how what, your training schedule is, exactly. I guess. What, what sport's on late night TV? Yeah. Yeah, what sport's on, whether my friends are at the pub, whether I've got to be up early for training. It's a bit of a balancing act. <laughs> yeah, fair. Beach or snowfields? It's a tricky one. I'm not particularly good at pushing through either sand or snow. I'm going to go with <laughs> the beach. I like the warm weather. Yep. And are you a lager drinker or a craft beer? I'll go a craft, but as long as I'm not buying them, I don't really mind. <laughs> <laughs> and if you could write a little sentence on your tombstone many years down the track, what yes. would James have? Enjoyed life to the fullest. Mm. Awesome, mate. And you've certainly done that. Mm. You've certainly done that. Thank you. I, I know the Aubrey Wodonga community, um, you're very well known and, and the incident was very well known. A lot of people follow your journey that have a lot of care for you, obviously. But yeah, thank you. So many years down the track to to relive it again and, mm. you know, give some some listeners some tips and tricks on, you know, how important mindset is because oh, I don't doubt if you weren't as mentally strong and physically strong as you were when the incident happened, your journey would have been tougher than what it was, I reckon. Yeah. And you just, yeah, incredible. A real life sure. superhero. Mm. And I'll, I'll tune into that. <laughs> I'll <laughs> um, tune into the um, wheelchair rugby. Yes. Absolutely. I'll let you know how you go. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I suppose one of the things just before you do finish that I do like to share with people is the importance of having that support network. Absolutely. And you people that you trust. People you trust and you can reach out to if you're having a difficult time. And that's one of the main things that got me through. So good advice. Great advice. Thanks, James. You're a champion. All the best. And we will because we both love our sport and Josh over in the corner. So we will tune in and. Good luck Cheer in Japan. And, yeah, good luck. Yeah, Hope you thank make you it. Both. I appreciate it. Well done, yeah. man. Thanks, James. See ya. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.